13. And then we're also going to be looking at a passage in Exodus, Old Testament, Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 to 14. Let's pray as we turn to God's Word. Lord our God, we've opened your Word before us this morning. We pray that as we read the words in it, that you would make them come alive in us. Teach us through your Spirit what you would have us know from your Word so that we can live lives of obedience before you this week. Lord, it's the same prayer we pray every week. But Lord, we've seen you doing amazing things. And we pray, Lord, now, Make that difference in our lives because we want to be shining lights for Jesus Christ. Change us, we pray, for your sake. Amen. Let's read this passage, Luke chapter 22, starting at verse 1. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray Jesus to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray Jesus to them in the absence of a crowd. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? Jesus said to them, Behold, When you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it, just as Jesus had told them. And they prepared the Passover bit of an in-between passage that we're going to be looking at this morning, but some really important principles come from it, and we'll look at that shortly. Now, if you would turn to Exodus chapter 12, a little bit of background for us. We don't live in the Jewish world, and so we need to be reminded of God's instructions to them. Every Jewish child would know this by heart, but we don't, and so we need to refresh our memories. Exodus chapter 12, verse 1 to 14. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, 
a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. It's the only time when your kids are allowed to eat fast. (laughs) For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. God's word to his people. And to this day, the Jewish people keep the Passover because God told them to. Well, let's look at this passage and I've entitled it, and if you haven't seen this word before, it's Latin, so don't have a fright. And I'm not going high church now, by the way. Preparatio Christi. What does that mean? It means a making ready for Christ. That's where we get our word preparation from. A making ready for Christ. And that's what this passage is. We have two groups of people and they both are making ready for Christ in their own way. And we're going to look at how they are making ready for Christ. We need to put ourselves in the zone, in the time zone. It's AD 30. I won't say think back because there's no one here that old. But AD 30. Events are in this month of Nisan would literally change the course of human history forever. Up to now, mankind had been heading to destruction and eternal judgment with no means of reversing their course. And as the new moon appeared, signifying the beginning of this month of Nisan, trumpets were blown and signal fires were lit. Ordinary business was suspended. Why? Because the Passover was about to start. Very, very special time in the lives of God's people. Preparations were made for sacrifices and for celebrations. On the tenth of this month of Nisan, the sacrificial lamb, that is the lamb without blemish, was chosen from either being either a goat or a lamb. And then on the fourteenth, this lamb was sacrificed, killed on the temple grounds at twilight. 
And then Passover started on the 14th of Nisan. Two days, the 14th and the 15th. And then straight after that, seven days of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Nisan 15th to 21st. And I'm mentioning these dates because it's really, really important. Because together these two feasts, the Feast of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, came to be known in the colloquial speak as Passover. So when people said we're going to celebrate Passover, they understood it was two feasts but held together. What was the significance? We've just read about that in Exodus. What was the significance of Passover? Well, it was the deliverance of the Jews after 430 years of captivity. And every year after that moment when God delivered them from the hands of the Egyptians, in that miraculous way, where they took even the treasures of the Egyptians with them and left that land poor behind them, struck by the angel of the Lord as he struck the firstborn, they remembered God's freeing them from the hand of Egypt. 430 years of captivity had ended. Israel had been passed over by the angel of death. Israel recalled her salvation and they remembered God's grace to them. They knew what that word meant. Grace. The grace of God. However, this Passover was to be very different to all the others that had come before. This was to be the last Passover because the ultimate and once for all lamb was to be sacrificed on man's behalf. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 7, Paul says, Christ is now our Passover lamb. No more was the necessity for lambs to be slain because Christ had been slain for all mankind who would turn to him. And instead, Jesus, and we'll look at that the next time we gather, instituted the Lord's Supper for all believers until he comes again. Culturally, the Jewish nation, under God's promise, are still to celebrate this Passover because God delivered them as his nation. But there are no more Passovers on God's calendar. His son was slain. Of what worth would slaying a lamb now be? Hebrews chapter 10 verse 4 says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Rather, shouts John the Baptist, Look to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The exciting thing is that the next great feast that the Bible speaks about is what? The great kingdom feast when Jesus Christ returns. That is God's calendar to us as believers. We look forward to that day of Christ's return. I hope you do. I hope you're living the reality of Christ's return. You see, all these other things have taken place in God's calendar of time. His plan is still at work. It's still continuing. His Son will reappear. And we will see Him with our very own eyes. Well, let's go and look at these two groups that are making preparation for Christ. Very, very different preparations. The first group is making preparation for murder. They want to kill Jesus Christ. Verses 2 to 6. We see the chief priests and the scribes plotting to kill Jesus. Not the first time though. 
right through the Gospels we get accounts where Jesus even prophesies because he knew they want to kill me. He was the son of man, the omniscient one. He knew they are going to kill me. And here we find them in this verse plotting to kill Jesus. But afraid of the people gathered together. Remember during the time of Passover, people came from all over the then known world. All those who had heard of Jesus. All those who had heard of God's message of salvation. All those who were Jews who had been dispersed all over the known world came together, all these pilgrims. And Jerusalem for those days was crowded out. There wasn't a room to be found. And that's why when we remember the events of Christ's birth, you see it was at the same time. There was not a room to be found. Anywhere. Just crowded out. People were gathered together. Jesus had many, many followers. So whether they believed in him personally or not, they wanted to see what next he was going to do. And so the great crowds were following people. Jesus, there was no TV those days. This was the excitement of the day. And also the other thing we know about the Jewish nation, they are very excitable. It doesn't take much to start an argument or to start a heated discussion. And these Pharisees and the Jewish leaders knew their own people so well. They didn't want to excite them because within moments a riot would start. And that's the last thing they wanted. They didn't want the Romans' attention on them because that's when the soldiers came into action and people were killed. Positions were changed of the leadership. And so these chief priests and, and, and scribes, they try and plot how they can get rid of Jesus without drawing attention to him. But the irony is this, that while this nation is getting ready to have this holy festival, the holiest festival in their calendar, the leaders of the nation at the same time are preparing for murder. Those who should have been preparing their own hearts for worship are instead preparing to kill the Son of God. What irony. The Son of God was literally under fire here. His life was in danger. But that's not all. There's more to this party preparing for murder. There's Judas too. If you see verses 3 to 6, it says, and this is one of the most terrifying statements in Scripture, Satan entered into Judas Iscariot. You see, Satan's not everywhere present all at the same time. Those who think that, that Satan is in us all the time, no, it's not that at all. We've got hearts that are evil before the Lord. We don't need Satan for that. Satan just uses our evil hearts for his purposes if we don't know the Lord. But he's not in people's hearts. Here he enters Judas Iscariot's heart for a very specific purpose. Because he's going to use him. Who was this Judas? We know quite a lot about him. We know he was one of the twelve. He was one of the inner circle. He was one of the called ones, says Matthew 10. We know he was the treasurer of this little band of disciples, John 13. We know that he also swindled the other disciples. Yes, he was one of the inner group, but there seems to be one who's always trying to underdo the others. And he was known for it. And here, the same man, the one who is in constant contact with Jesus Christ, 
now will swindle Jesus Christ to. But he's doing it as per prophecy. And he wasn't doing it himself to bring the prophecy true. He was just doing what Judas did. But prophecy was coming true. Psalm 41 verse 9 says this, Written years before, Even my close friend, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. That phrase, lifted his heel, means to betray me, to injure me. And Jesus knew, John chapter 6, verse 70 and 71 say, that Jesus knew that Judas was to betray him. He knew all along. But he also knew that God's plans had to be fulfilled. And so we hear this phrase, Satan entered into Judas. You see, there's a bigger picture here. Satan just didn't on the spur of the moment say, well, who shall I target today? Ah, Judas is free. Alright, I'm going into Judas. No, no. There was a bigger plan here. There was a plan that started in Genesis, chapter 3, verse 15, where those words are quoted, that there will be enmity between you and the snake, says, says the Lord to uh, Satan, to uh, man. There will be enmity between you and Satan. You will seek to crush his head, but he will s- seek to strike your heel. And that was referring to this act which was happen later in history when Satan would try to destroy Jesus Christ using Judas. So it's way back in Genesis. There's a plan, you see. And Satan was trying to destroy Jesus. He was constantly, through the history of mankind, trying to stop God's plan of salvation. And he did it through people killing prophets. He did it through all kinds of means, trying to subvert the plan of God. He didn't want God's plan of salvation to advance. And so here he thinks. You see, Satan hasn't got the benefit of foresight. Never make the mistake to think Satan is omniscient. He is not the opposite of who God is. That's taught today in the yin-yang kind of things. Opposite of good is evil. It's kind of equal. No, it's not. The opposite of good is definitely not in the same force and equal to the same force. Satan is not omniscient. He doesn't have foresight. He just thought, it's a good thing if I use Judas today, because look, they all gathered together. I can see the events here. I'm going to try and bring Jesus down this uh, this Passover. And so he enters into Judas. The big picture here is, you see, that he was trying to bring Jesus down, but as he did so, he was causing his own downfall. He was crushing his own head. How do we know that? Scripture tells us. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 to 15. Listen really carefully. I put it in the New Living Translation so that you can all understand real clearly. Listen to this. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, right? Pinch yourself. Flesh and blood. Hurts. Yes. The Son also became flesh and blood. Why? For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. You see, Satan was going to crush his own head by trying to bring Jesus down. 
because by doing so, Jesus was going to destroy him and death at the same time. Only in this way, says that verse, could he, Jesus, set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Tell me this morning, as you sit here, do you have a fear of dying? Many people do. They spend millions on trying to preserve their bodies just in case they can be brought alive again from, an un- from a frozen state and have more life. If you fear death, the answer today to you is there is life to be found in Jesus Christ. That is what this passage is about. He came to destroy Satan and to destroy death. There is life in Jesus Christ. There is no more need to fear death. And if you still fear death, you need to come and meet Jesus Christ. He will take that fear away and give you everlasting life. So that in the moment we close our eyes in this physical thing called death, we open them in everlasting life and we see Jesus Christ. Why fear death? Here's the gospel message to you this morning. This is the only way Jesus could free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Satan was bringing himself down by trying to destroy Jesus. And so we have this verse that says, Judas was entered by Satan. You see, he was motivated now and energized by Satan. So everything he did now was prompted by Satan. This is the same Judas who had spent days in close proximity to Jesus Christ. He had been one of the twelve. He had walked the streets of Israel with Jesus Christ. He had shared meals around fires. He had slept uncomfortably in homes. He had slept uncomfortably out of doors, getting cold with Jesus. This is the same man in close proximity to Jesus Christ. He had seen the healings. He had seen the miracles. He had heard those life-saving words that Jesus kept as he kept saying, as he called sinners to repentance, Judas had heard those words too. He'd seen the love of God displayed as the Son of Man brought people up from the death. As he made people who were sick come well again. As he healed sicknesses. Judas had seen these things with his own eyes. And yet Judas still chose to harden his heart. Now I know Satan entered into him, but there's a two-way thing here. Judas hardened his heart against the Son of Man. You see, the message behind that is religion is no saviour. You couldn't get closer than Judas to the Son of Man. Religion is no saviour. You might be the most religious person there is. You might wear a tie every single Sunday and try to look holy. And I'm not denigrating anyone who wears ties, by the way. I'm one short of it. But, if you are just religious, you are lost. If you do not know Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter how religious you are. You will die in your sins, says God's word. Judas is an example of a religious person who was lost. There was something else here. Judas 
was not a helpless pawn in Satan's power. Some say he was. He wasn't. He was guilty because he failed to resist Satan. We have the benefit of hindsight as well. The Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 5 verse 8 and 9 exhorts you and I to resist the devil and to stand firm in our faith. So we know that we've got no excuse. But Judas also knew he had to resist Satan. Jesus would have taught them all these things. Would Jesus not have taught them about the wiles of Satan? Of course he would. It's the greatest enemy around. But he turned, he decided to turn his back on the Messiah. And you know, for me this morning as a pastor, it is sobering to realize just how close someone can come to God's kingdom and still be lost. You might have been sitting in church your whole life. You might have been born just outside of these buildings. And on day two, you might have been in this building with your mother. But if you do not yet know Jesus Christ, you are lost. I can't say it clearer. I can't plead with you anymore. As someone who preaches God's word to you week by week, come and be saved by Jesus Christ. You might have been mixing with Christians your whole life. Your whole family might be Christians. They might even think you're a Christian. But if you are not in a daily relationship with Jesus Christ, you are lost without Him. You are still in religion. You might have served in this church you might have listened to every single sermon you can download on the internet. But if you haven't committed to Jesus Christ, you're still lost. How do I know that? Scripture tells me. What does Scripture say? Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. This is what the Lord Himself says. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to 23. Listen to these chilling words and I pray that you will not hear them one day when you face the Lord because Judas will. Will you be next to Judas listening to these words? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Judas was one who said, Lord, Lord. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Verse 22, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. My prayer for you this morning is that you will not hear those words. Hear God's word to you. There's only one way to be saved and that is through personal faith in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you believe it, you confess it, then says the Lord, you will be saved. Have you confessed the name of Jesus Christ? Is He your Lord and your Savior? And so this evil group, Judas, the religious leaders, and also the temple guards, the captains of the temple guards, get together, verses 4 to 6, 
and they initiate this meeting. Judas does. He initiates the meeting with them and they can't believe their luck. Here's someone who's actually going to betray Jesus, one of his own disciples. This couldn't be better. And so those 30 pieces of silver they paid him were small fry for them. They paid it, says Scripture, gladly because now the deed was going to be done. Interesting that the, the amount, the 30 pieces of silver, is the exact amount given by the prophet Zechariah 500 years before. You try the odds of that one, seeing as we're talking about money. 500 years before, the prophet Zechariah had said that 30 pieces of silver would be involved and there would be betrayal. And so Judas's task is find an opportunity where Jesus is alone without the crowds, let us know and we will be there. But Jesus knew. Matthew chapter 20 verse 18 and 19 says, Jesus knew they were plotting against him. But he also knew what his father wanted. So that's the one group. Then we have a very different group. Verses 7 to 13, getting together. And they're also making preparations for Jesus Christ. Verse 7 tells us that it's the first day of unleavened bread. Thursday the 14th of Nisan. That was the day the lamb had to be sacrificed in the afternoon on the temple grounds, on the forecourt of the temple. It had to be roasted specifically. And so what initially was a lot of blood around in Israel turned into this sweet-smelling incense, if you like, meat. And these lambs were being roasted. But there was more work to be done. You see, that same evening they would have the Passover meal. And now you need to listen carefully because events move really fast here, but in Scripture it's kind of if we're going to slow motion because there's a lot of things that are described for us in these next two days. Because from this moment... From this day to the next, many things would happen. On the 14th, Jesus would be alive. At the end of the 15th, he'd be in the tomb. And yet we've got a few chapters to go. It's just because there's so much detail that has to happen here. So we need to pay attention. You see, they were going to go that same evening, have the Passover meal, and then... When they got up from there, they were going to have a bit of an argument among the disciples in this moment of the last Passover of who's the greatest in the kingdom. We can't put that aside, right? Disciples. And then from there they would get up, go into the Garden of Gethsemane, there'd be their time of prayer, and at that time Jesus would be arrested. The very next morning after Peter had betrayed the Lord, on the Friday, he would, Jesus would be led before Pilate. Later that same day, crucified, that evening taken down from the cross. All happens very fast now. And all the Gospels describe this to us in great detail. And so, we have Thursday morning and Jesus tells his two disciples, Peter and John. I like the choice Jesus made here. Peter and John, who were they? John was the one closest to the Lord. Peter, the future leader of the church. Jesus says to the two of them, I want you to go and prepare us for the Passover. Get the room ready, get the meal ready, 
you know what to do. And so here are his instructions. I want you to go and find a man carrying a pitcher of water. Now we might think, oh well, find a guy carrying a water and then very, very unusual in Israel. Men never carried pitchers of water. It was a woman's role. If they had to carry water, they'd carry a skin with water in it. But women were the ones who would carry a pitcher of water. So to see a man like that, would, it's a standout thing. And, and so Jesus says to them, find this man and then go with him to the owner of his house and say, the teacher says, there's a room that you have, an upper room ready for us. And we think it's kind of nothing unusual about that. Jesus probably prearranged this. Well, no, no. Jesus is the omniscient one. There is no indication anywhere in Scripture that Jesus had had this place prepared before the time. He is the omniscient one, the one who knows all. And so he said to them, you just go find that man, find the owner of the place, and he will have an upper room. Now, during Passover, upper rooms were in short demand. Because everyone wanted an upper room so that they could celebrate Passover during during, celebrate the Passover meal rather during this time. There were no pre-bookings involved here with the Lord. So they go and they find this man carrying this water and they go to the master of the house, the owner, and they say to him, the teacher, and everyone knew who the teacher was there, the teacher needs your upper room. And the man gave them that upper room. And so they set about preparing the Passover meal. And scripture records here for us, they found everything just as Jesus had predicted. Where else do we hear those words? A little earlier, Luke chapter 19, what do we hear there? It's when Jesus sent away for that cult just before he came into Jerusalem. They found everything just as Jesus had said. The omniscient Son of God at work. And so the disciples prepare the lamb. That lamb approved the, the, the lamb without blemish. They roast the lamb. They get the wine ready for the four cups that would be involved in the Passover meal. They get the unleavened bread ready, signifying the haste that the people had to leave Egypt with and also purification from sin. And I'll come back to these when we have our next communion table together. And the bitter herbs remembering their bondage in Egypt. And at last, all is ready. The stage is set. They will meet together for this last Passover with the Lord. And then he will die. Well, what can we learn from these few verses here? I believe there are three things, and I'm going to highlight them to you this morning. And the first one is this. How can we prepare for Jesus Christ ourselves? It's the year 2016. We're very far away from the events of those days. I think the first thing we can learn from is this, from Judas. Let's learn a little bit from Judas. One sin leads to more sin. You see, Judas's unbelief led to swindling, it led to lying, it led to plotting, it led to blood money, it led in the end to betrayal. And then, when he realized what he had done, it led to suicide. He killed himself. What's the message? My friends, my brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, Deal with your sin early. Don't leave it to fester in your lives. It will get bigger. 
it will reap rewards in your lives. There will be consequences. You will live with them. Deal with sin early. Learn from Judas. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6 to 7 says this to us. Listen. Paul is speaking to the Corinthians about the sin that they allow to just openly fester in God's church. Listen to what he says. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. There's so much here. There's a whole sermon, but I'm not going there. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Would you allow the whole, le- the whole lump of your life to be influenced by the leaven of sin that you don't deal with? It will influence your whole life. There will be consequences. Deal with sin early. Learn from Judas. Second lesson here this morning is this. Are you and I perhaps guilty of betraying Jesus as well on a daily basis? How? Well, as believers, do we betray Jesus by not being obedient to his commands? We come here week in, week out, and I've said this plenty of times before, and I sound like an instrument with one string. But it's the same truth which doesn't change, you see. And I speak into my own life here. Do we hear the commands? Do we live out those commands? Or do we pass them by? Jesus says to us, Obey me. If you would be called my followers, obey me. Don't turn your backs on maintaining your relationship with Jesus Christ daily. Maybe that time that you get to speak out about Him, would you also betray Jesus Christ in your workplace and keep your mouth closed? Peter would know what that is. Very soon here. When your family asks you why you don't cavort around like the rest of the people do during Christmas time, why is yours kind of different? Do you tell them about Jesus Christ? Or do you keep quiet? Are you willing to betray Jesus Christ because you won't stand up and be counted for him. Silence is betrayal. Or maybe this morning you are a disciple here who is no disciple at all. Like Judas, you were part of the inner group. You've been part of church. You've been going around Christian activities for years, but in your heart, where no one else can see you, you know that it is only superficial. You have no relationship with Jesus Christ. I can't see your hearts. I know many of you here, but I can't see your hearts. Do you know Jesus Christ? Are you a disciple who is no disciple at all? The thing is, God can see your heart. And when you stand before Him, He will read your heart as plain as daylight. 
I plead with you this morning, push your pride aside. It doesn't matter whether people say, What? Has he just become a Christian now? We thought he was a Christian. It doesn't matter. Would you rather keep your pride and lose your salvation? Be saved. John chapter 13 verse 8, Jesus says to you this morning, as he said to his disciples, when he was about to wash their feet, and Peter said to him, Lord, not just my feet, but all of me. This is what Jesus said to him. If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. If Jesus' blood doesn't wash you, you have no share with Jesus Christ. I've brought you the gospel message in various forms this morning. I pray that your ears will be open this morning. Be saved. And then there's unbelievers here today, and there are unbelievers among us. We're coming up to another time when the rest of the world goes mad. And as believers we remember the time when Jesus Christ came to this earth as our Saviour. Would you face another time of remembering his birth? Would you once again turn your back on the Christ child? Would you once again continue to give your allegiance to Satan? There's only those two options. Allegiance to Jesus Christ or allegiance to Satan. Which one is it this morning? If you are not in relationship with Jesus Christ, you are in an active relationship with Jesus Christ. Your soul is sold to Satan for less than 30 pieces of silver. He's got you for free. Because each of us is born in sin. And we need to come to the Lord and be saved from that state of helplessness of being born in sin because of what Adam did so many years ago in his disobedience to the Lord. We are his children. Your allegiance is to Satan if your allegiance is not to Jesus Christ. Don't be fooled by Satan. Come to Jesus today and be saved. That's the ninth time I've said that this morning. And then lastly for us, as we face a special time of the year, where we remember the birth of Jesus Christ, its great significance is the fact of his death. You see, if Jesus had been born, but if he had never died for our sins, his birth would be nothing. He'd be just another baby who came to this earth. There's more to that. Yes, he was God who became man. But there was a point to that plan. And what was the point to that plan? That one day he would die for those who would come to him in faith and he would pay for all sin committed. He says, I came, I was born to die. God's plan of salvation was that he would come to this earth to die for you and me. That was God's plan of salvation. That is God's plan of salvation. He did come. He was born. We will remember at this time of the year And then he died. And we will remember next year when we come to the time of Easter where we remember his death, his burial, his resurrection. 
Those things have all happened in the past when it comes to the man, Jesus Christ. The next thing on the plan of God's salvation is His reappearance. Are you ready this morning? His birth is only significant in the face of His death and His payment as our Lamb to die in our place for our sin. And so I'd urge you as believers this morning, continue in your faithful service of this Lord Jesus Christ. Be encouraged in your walks before Him. And yes, you might have days when it doesn't go that well. And you fall down and you don't read God's Word and you feel that God's put a wall up between you. And you just feel that nothing is going anywhere. Your prayers go unanswered. The prayers come bouncing back. That's what it feels like. I would urge you, continue in your faith before the Lord. Continue to urge those around you who are looking like they need a bit of encouragement too. Just encourage each other in your walks before the Lord. He is coming again. He will call us to account. This is the risen and living Lamb we are speaking about here. The one who was raised on the third day after all these events. The one in whose hope we stand. Be encouraged in your faith. This Christmas, speak out about Jesus Christ. Forget all the presents. Forget all the stuff that goes with Christmas and all the shopping deals. Don't get caught up in all those things. It is about remembering and reminding others about Jesus Christ. Let's not become like the world. The world is already too much in God's church. Let's stand out from among the world. Let's be seen for the sake of Jesus Christ. We are His witnesses, His light in a dying and a dark world. And if we are not light, who will bring them the message of light? It's up to you and I. Be encouraged. Be strengthened by the Lord. And do the work set for you and I. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, help us during this time of festivities and during this time of preparation to not forget Jesus Christ. Help us to prepare our hearts daily for your coming. Help us to speak out daily about what you've done in our lives and the change you've brought about in our lives. May people know when they mention our names, Christian, we know you. May we fly our flags clearly for the world to see. May we shine out bright as bright shining lights for Jesus Christ. Lord, save us from betrayal. Save us from silence. May we have the courage through your Spirit to listen to you and to use those opportunities you bring about to speak out about you. And though we might fear men, we need to fear the living God more. And Lord, may that fear turn to a love because of what you've done for us in Jesus Christ. Use us as a church in Wanganui East we pray. Lord, I pray for the Christmas Day service we have, that when people come to this church building and many visitors usually come, may your gospel go out clearly. May people even there hear about Jesus Christ and may there be a great ingathering of souls for you and your kingdom. Use us, we pray. Amen.